1: welcome back this is the big blue banter new york giants
2: football podcast i'm dan schneier joined as always by my co-host nick Pilato. a little bit late about two hours after the news broke unfortunately i have work that i could not put off but i'm doing a little bit of hooky right now let's just keep that on the down low because i did want to record a podcast with the breaking news that the new york football giants have a new general manager in place joe shane from the buffalo bills now this is exciting news to just about anyone At this stage of their Giants fandom, I think we've reached a point even last year where the final and there were still a strong contingent of Gettleman defenders going into the 2021 season. But obviously that broke. I mean, once you go, what what was it? Three, three and ten for the first every year of his GM hood. You get to the point where everyone's off that bandwagon and everyone's looking for something new and something exciting. And I think Joe Shane can be that something new and something exciting. I think everything I've read about him, everything I've heard about him, and everything I heard about everyone they interviewed in this GM process got me excited for the mere fact that it's going to be something different, a lot different, than what Dave Gettleman offered and brought to the New York Giants over these last four years. And what Dave Gettleman brought to these Giants was really bad, man. Let's be honest about it. He took us to depths that we never thought were possible. This franchise is arguably the worst in the NFL last year, and that never I never thought that could ever happen. And so hopefully Shane can fix it. Hopefully Shane can right the ship. I'm going to go over. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the final, you know, breaking news that we heard here from really one of the best insiders on this GM search has been Ian O'Connor. I believe he's from The Post. He had a lot of interesting notes. But first thoughts on Joe Shane as general manager, Nick Filato. Go ahead.
1: I'm just happy, man, that the Giants were able to go out there and find somebody who is going to have a different approach, somebody with fresh ideas and isn't as archaic as, let's say, Dave Gettleman because that approach it was the quote-unquote giants way it was more of a gut type of approach it avoided analytics and all of that is just kind of stubborn to me i feel like and we've discussed this on the podcast you need to kind of take everything into account when you're making these organizational decisions on personnel and really on just the direction of the team everything i've heard about joe shane has been positive and dan hatman who is the um director of the scouting academy, put out a lot of positive quotes from all over the NFL. I tweeted about it. If you guys want to go and look it up about people around the NFL, talking about Joe Shane's work ethic, his ability to scout his ability to lead and his organizational skills. And all of those things to me are qualities in a general manager that I want. So I look at this Joe Shane hire, and I think that this is a step in the right direction. Now, In three years, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But I do believe that the ship has been righted. Let's hope it stays on course and the Giants can turn around this absolute mess they have right now.
2: Yeah, why don't you read some off some of those quotes for those who haven't, uh, you know, who don't follow us on Twitter and are really just coming to the podcast?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked me, Dan. So here's one from Dan Hatman. Go check out the Scouting Academy. It's an invaluable resource to teach you how to scout and learn football. Anyways, here's one of the quotes. He's very smart. Detailed and ambitious. He's an excellent evaluator, and it's not a matter of if, but when he gets a GM job. Here's the second quote. Super smart, a good football mind. The guys in Buffalo really respect him. Has experience on the research side too. Third quote, personable, intelligent, detail-oriented, knows players. Worked for two playoff organizations. Started at the bottom on the road and earned each promotion along the way. And the fourth quote, I think he works hard, has an eye for talent and good media savvy. And by the starting from the bottom, Dan, this guy started in two thousand working in the Carolina Panthers ticket office. Like that is insane. He worked his way up. That's crazy. It is, right, man? He worked his way up to being a scouting assistant, turned that into being an area scout for several seasons, five years with the Panthers before going to Miami, where he was a national scout, working his way up to assistant director of college scouting, director of player personnel, and then Brandon Bean reunited with him several years later in 2017 to be the assistant general manager under him. This guy has been groomed for this position, and that is excellent for the New York Giants.
2: Yeah. You know, it's so funny. It's like everyone's dream to potentially go from working as a, in the ticket sales office to, so I remember when I was first trying to get into this industry, one of the avenues that I was told was, you know, try to talk to, get in with an organization, work in the ticket sales office, start their ticket sales and move on, try to move up from there, try to move on from there, try to just outwork people and, you know be working so hard that there's no other no you know, they want you as part of the organization and it's just so interesting that this is an avenue that can actually work because when you hear that pitch to you it's almost like i'm i could try that but it seems so unlikely it seems like a lottery ticket almost you have to be that total outlier to move on up and if you are that total outlier like joe shane was in this example it probably says something about you, right? It says something about you as a as a worker. It says something about you as your organizational skills. It says something about you as a leader. It says something about every – like to be that outlier, you have to be something else. Um, you're not. That's a one in every, I don't know, few thousand, maybe more people who try to go that route of starting a ticket sales for a team and then eventually becoming a general manager of another NFL team like – it's so rare and it it says a lot about him and it has that alone has me excited about Joe Shane. And I think a lot of what we'll talk about on this podcast is qualities that we hope qualities that we, that we expect and hope for Joe Shane to bring to the general manager. Because like we've said before, this is not an X's and O's thing. We're not going to be breaking down. Like there's no strategy that Joe Shane has showed in the past. There's no (laughs) scheme that he showed us, but there are qualities and traits and I guess tenants of, what they tend into their philosophy that we hope the next general manager of the giants will have. And you can, and we're going to go over a lot of that in a little bit, but I just want to give a little preview for that. There's also some quotes that I wanted to go over, Nick. Um, from the, uh, 2019 article on Joe Shane from the athletic. I think this is the best article I've read so far, at least as far as the more, most detailed article I've read Nick on Shane. Um, I don't know if some of you have read this it's from behind the athletic paywall. Obviously, you know, I'm going to give some quotes from there, but obviously if you want to support the athletic, go ahead and, and subscribe and read it there. But some of the best stuff I saw from that, some, you know, one, one was a quote from the Bills, someone in the Bills front office, you're not going to outwork him. That's something that you kind of talked about. But another one was from uh, Bean, the general manager for the Bills. And he talked about, like, the early days, how Joe Shone would begin his days in Orchard Park, Orchard Park in at 4.30 a.m., the first person in the building, finish his workout, sat down three hours early, he says. And he can get in. So he says he comes in three hours so he can focus and get things done before others start trickling in. And Bean said, Joe is the greatest intern I've ever had. He was one of those guys. He got penalized because he was good. We had a coach that, if coffee wasn't made by five thirty in the morning, he was bitching at, tra- at training camp. So a couple of times, some interns were late getting in here, and it was like five forty five, and I'm hearing c- the coach grumble about it. So finally, I said to Joe, "You got to do it every day." Well, that wasn't fair to him, but I w- I didn't want to ch- I didn't want my ass chewed, so I knew I was I knew it was getting handled, so I gave it to Joe, and Joe would handle it. Um, like you said, Nick and Carolina, Sh- Shane Begain is a scouting assistant. Uh, in 2001 that was kind of his first break after the ticket sales he was promoted uh, to a combine scout in 2002 Um, and after seven years in Carolina Shane left the Panthers to join Bean and that was the first time he really caught his big break Um, I was impressed with Joe because Joe was a sharp guy Bill Parcells said because when he when Jeff Ireland and Bill Parcells went to Miami in 2008 they hired Joe Shane as a national scout and Parcells said I thought he had a good process when it came to evaluating players. I mean, it's great to hear these kind of quotes from Bill Parcells, right? Like this is, this is the next level type of person. Um, and Sean said, I take pride in that. I think what's important is when you start from the bottom. When you start doing the grunt work, you really learn the nuances of this. Now I'm managing my area scouts, and I, know they're going, and I know what they're going through. I know what it's like to be on the road for two weeks away from your family. 15 reports, one night in Alabama. Next day you're in Auburn. You got 15 more. Those are long nights, but you got a lot of information from that. So really with Joe Shane, I feel like what you're getting is a guy who has outworked his competition throughout. I mean, he's an underdog story. That's what you want. Dave Gettleman probably wasn't the underdog story, but he was somebody who had the past success or, at least, you know, he had the Giants way behind him. And this is a totally different approach, I believe, Nick, than what Gettleman gave the Giants.
1: Absolutely. A totally different approach. And that's exactly what we needed. And also Shane uh, has a college background playing football he was a communication major at the university and he was a three-year letterman in football where he played quarterback and wide receiver so he has some playing days behind him obviously it's not at the professional level but still people may look at that and think that's something that is respectable it also seems like there's been several bills like dawson knox i saw who tweeted out that Joe Shane deserves this, and he's really happy for Shane. The Giants got a steal and a general manager. So you like to see that as well, that he was really well-respected in the building, not just from the upper management types, but also from the players on the field.
2: Yeah, because think about it, Nick. Like, it's the total opposite of what happened when Dave Gettleman was hired. When Dave Gettleman was hired, you had players coming out and saying, this guy's a joke. This guy shouldn't have been hired. He's one of the worst people I've ever dealt with. Two multiple, I mean, D'Angelo Williams, Steve Smith, everyone. There were multiple Panthers players. Just think of the difference there. You have you hire a guy, and his former players are just trashing him. Versus you hire a guy, and players are just coming out. And this isn't even the GM. It's not like he was the. Bills GM that we like spit, uh, poached from them. This was their a guy who was working in their front office, and you still have a player who likes him enough to come out and say, like, Dawson Knox comes out and says, like, this is great, he deserves this. And so night and day, really, for me, when it comes to that. And, I, I mean, that should have probably been some kind of warning signs of the Giants when Gettleman, when that came out with Gettleman. But the fact that it's not happening with Shane and that the opposite is happening is definitely good news. I wanted to go over a report from Ian O'Connor, who, again, seems like he's been had the pulse of this GM search. Uh, and he said that it was a dead, and this is also something by the way, that was later confirmed by Ian Rappaport. So I think it's good when you hear of two sources kind of saying it It probably gives it more of a chance of being correct. And he said it was a dead heat between Adam, pa- Adam Peters and Joe Shane um, before the final decision was made. I think the giants probably deferred to what they were leaning in the first place. And I actually heard last week from someone that it was going to be Shane. And that was fine. It was already a done deal. Um, So that's interesting, but I'm not going to share that source. I've obviously been told to keep it anonymous, and I will. But what are your thoughts on that, that it was a dead heat, reportedly a dead heat between Shane and Peters?
1: I'm not surprised because the Giants, it seemed like all three of those final candidates the Giants had interest in. They brought them in for second interviews and all of that jazz. So I'm not really too shocked that Shane and Peters, it kind of came down to a dead heat between them. And honestly, I don't know if this take is all that nuanced to be honest, but if I had to choose, I I feel like the Buffalo Bills are a much more, I guess, versatile type of roster, whereas the 49ers are a little bit more, they have their identity and it's based around the philosophy of Kyle Shanahan's coaching. So if I had to choose between the two off of that somewhat unnuanced take, I think I would lean Shane. What what are your uh, thoughts on that? I think that's actually
2: a great take. I mean, we both obviously agree that we don't have, it's not, this isn't, this isn't us evaluating quarterbacks. This isn't us evaluating offensive linemen or coaches. So it's not going to, we're never going to feel as confident in our takes about general manager candidates, but I like what you said there, because it's true. If you brought in Peters, yeah, Peters is they've done a good job building a roster in San Francisco, but so much of what makes that roster tick on offense is Kyle Shanahan's zone blocking on the, on, on the run game. And what they do in the passing game, what they do, with the run action, with those players like Debo Samuel that are so specific to that that scheme, and 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 players like Brandon Ayuk, and I know I I do like what Peter uh, what Peters and what McDaniel and what those guys preach, which is kind of like the opposite of that. Like we we brought in Samuel, yes, he fits our system. On in theory and on paper, but we've maximized his talents and we've maximized the system and changed things within the system and the scheme to fit him. And I definitely think they do that. But at the same time, so much of what they do is based on what Kyle Shanahan's system is, and you know he's a genius coach, and so is McDaniels. But I feel like on the flip side, yeah, Brian Dable's done a good job. Yeah, Leslie Frazier's done a good job. But the roster that Bean and Shane has helped to build is, like you said, so much more well-rounded, and and it's. It's not only that, it's that, you know, outside of the quarterback position, which is obviously helping them um, there with Josh Allen, they have such a deep roster. I feel like whenever the Bills have been dealt with injuries throughout the past two seasons, they've been able to fight through them and they've been able to still win games and they've been able to still advance last year to the AFC championship game. This year, we'll see. They have a tough draw this round with the Chiefs, but they could easily beat the Chiefs. And if they beat the Chiefs, I then think they're the favorite to make it to the Super Bowl. So this is a roster that's going to go two years in a row of deep runs into the playoffs, despite getting injuries like Jadavis white is out. He's their best offensive player. He's been out for the entire season since like week six or seven or eight. And they've bounced back. They're still, I think first or second in EPA on defense, despite losing their best player. They have a really deep rotation on the defensive line. They have good second level players. Obviously Matt Milano was a huge hit for them at the linebacker position and they have a great secondary. So, you flip it to the other side of the ball, no huge names on the offensive line, but they have what we've been asking for, Nick, the entire time of the Giants offensive line. Not an elite group, but a group that's solid enough and above average at all times. And so they really do, they, I think they really have done a good job building that roster out.
1: And they've done an excellent job building the roster out. And again, Dan and I have said this, we don't know the extent that Joe Shane has had on the drafts from 2017 to 2021 with the Buffalo Bills because Brandon Bean is ultimately making the decisions. But still, Brandon Bean and Joe Shane, they're going to be linked. So we can at least look at the drafts and see an approach and maybe glean some sort of philosophy off of said approach. So I think we should do that, to be honest, because you just brought up Matt Milano's name. If we go back to Joe Shane's first draft with the Bills as an assistant general manager, so he's high up on the pecking order, it was 2017, Trey White was the first pick. In that, at 27, right? Bills traded their pick in that year with the Chiefs and dropped from wherever they were picking, it was like 10 or 12, all the way back to 27. They get Trey White, and then they end up getting Matt Milano in the fifth round. Of that same draft, somebody who ends up being a long-term starter at linebacker for them. They draft Deion Dawkins in that draft as well, who was now their left tackle. And at the time, Deion Dawkins wasn't somebody who was projected to be a left tackle. He was more of a guard type of player coming out of Temple. Now they also drafted Zay Jones, who's having some success with the Raiders, but absolutely did not do much with Buffalo, Nathan Peterman. That was a wasted pick in the fifth round. And then Tanner Vallejo, who's still a solid special teamer, who kind of works his way into the rotation for the Cardinals. Now, I believe he actually plays, I don't think he plays more snaps than Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons, but I see him out there when I feel like I should see Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons. So that was their 2017 draft. And if you look through some of the other drafts as well, Dan, I feel like there's a lot of, late round flyers on defensive backs and cornerbacks from 2018 to 2021 they at least invested one or two picks multiple years it was two picks into the defensive back position which i know you love bro what's going on everyone football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find giants tickets anymore because tick pick that's t-i-c-k p-i-c-k is the original no fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go To find NFL tickets, TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then Please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
2: Yeah, you know I love that. I'm a big believer in building the roster out from the defensive side of the ball coverage first. I believe just, you know, today's NFL, almost every single offense, at least when it's supposed to be on rhythm. I mean, when it's supposed to be on time and in rhythm is designed to get the ball out in two and a half seconds or less. And that you're seeing it across the NFL, across the board. Very few teams are running that Gilbride style offense anymore. It's it's few and far in between. And when they do, it's just for certain small periods of the game, not for all periods of the game. So you've got to be able to cover in this league. You have to. You're going to get killed if you can't cover one-on-one. I think it's going to be a big problem this week. We'll find out for the Tennessee Titans, who I I go back and forth on that titans Bengals game. But one of the things that scares me about the Titans, who I originally picked to win the game, is their corners one-on-one against those receivers. And that's something you're always going to need. So I love that approach by him. And just thinking about that draft class, because that's really the start of their rebuild. They were in a really bad spot from a roster standpoint before Brandon Bean and Shane got there. I mean, everyone talks about, like, Dave Gettleman didn't have enough time, at, at, at least going into last year. They're like, not three years isn't enough time to rebuild. Well, the re- Bills rebuilt that thing in, in less than three years from, from nothing. They were in a worse, as bad a spot as the Giants were after they fired Jerry Reese. That roster was barren from ta- with talent. Um, and, you know, you get Javius White, who's arguably one of the three or four best corners in the NFL when healthy. You get him deep in the first round. That's a huge win. Like, those are usually the guys you get in the top 10 at corner. That's a huge win. Obviously, Milano's the biggest win in that class, just an absolute steal. And if you look back, I actually have some tweets about Milano from that draft class. I loved him in that draft. I was hoping the Giants would get him. I've had a few of these inside backer hits, by the way. I'm not going to toot my own horn, but between Fred Warner, uh, and it's all on Twitter, so you can see him, the receipts are all there between Warner, Milano, and Logan Wilson. We'll see We'll see if I can find another one this class, because I've sure had my misses as well. But I love that they found a hit there in that 2017 class. That was really the start of it and then let's go into 2018 because that was obviously the that's the
1: big one because they hit Josh Allen yeah they hit Josh Allen and then they drafted Tremaine Edmonds with their second first round pick at pick 16 and Tremaine Edmonds when he's healthy is an impact player on defense just a kind of a unicorn to be honest that linebacker because the dude's like six foot five and has incredible movement skills and incredible length so that was a, a priority to get in the middle of their defense and if you look even into some of the other other drafts in 2019, 2020, 2021, they made such an investment at the edge position and at the defensive line position with a lot of hybrid type of players, the Gregory Rousseau's, the Carlos Basham's, the Ed Oliver's, which also points to kind of the Ernie acorsi way of things is you can never have too many players who can rush the passer because Gregory Rousseau and Ed Oliver, those guys were absolute monsters in college in terms of rushing the passer.
2: Yeah, for sure. And those are also big, lengthy guys. I feel like they're, like you said, they're versatile. They can play inside and out, which is something that they probably want on that defensive line. And it's a good, I think in general, it's a good uh, strategy to have. And I think one thing they've done well, too, is they haven't invested any of their major assets in the skill players. They've found different ways to fill out their skill players. So, for example, oh, well, they they did one. They traded a first-round pick for Stefan Diggs, but that is an already developed alpha one wide receiver. It's not yeah. someone like Karius Tony or any kind of late round wide receiver pick who you're kind of hoping can develop into an alpha wide receiver one. You already knew Stefan Diggs was an alpha wide receiver one. You're getting that for sure. When you made that trade, he's already established that, but they haven't actually used any of their other first or second round picks to kind of bring those guys in. They filled out their wide receiver core with guys like Cole Beasley. They signed Emmanuel Sanders cheap. They, missed, they found Isaiah McKenzie cheap. They found... Singletary cheap. They found Moss cheap. They found Breida cheap. Uh, All those skill guys, instead of investing high picks like the Giants have tended to do both in the Gettleman and Reese era, to be completely honest, or spend a massive contract, they've found a way to do it cheap while building the right way, which is the quarterback, the offensive line, and and your defense out. And so I think that's also a really big plus, I think, for for the way the Bills have built that roster out with Shane and with uh, Brandon Bean.
1: Yeah, they also got Gabriel Davis in the fourth round. At yeah. a Central oh my, four. I almost exactly. forgot
2: Davis was a steal.
1: Yep. And that year in 2020, they didn't have a first round pick. So they ended up getting AJ Epinesa, you know, one of your favorite players there. <laughs> nah, we like AJ Epinesa. I like AJ Epinesa. No, I day. never
2: said AJ Epinesa was going to yeah. be a bad player. I thought I didn't I know, like I, I, I thought he was a little bit overdrafted because I, I'm never a fan of those, the, the players like that who win the, uh, I'm sorry, the defensive ends who wins the way he win uh, in college. It just felt to me like a lot of his wins were overpowering big 10 offensive linemen who weren't going to start in the NFL, but my whole thing with Epinesa just to clear it up. I'm sure everyone knows right now was just that. I didn't think he fit the system. I didn't think he made any sense in the Giants system. And he didn't ultimately the giants didn't draft him. And I don't think they ever were considering it, but uh, yeah, let's move on.
1: But the Dawson Knox pick, if you go back to the 2019, that was with the second, third round pick. They spent it on Devin Singletary, the first round, and that was after going Ed Oliver and Cody Ford, who was another successful hit for them. A guy who can play guard or tackle on the offensive line out of Oklahoma. He was on that stud Oklahoma offensive line that had Creed Humphrey, and uh, they won the uh, trophy for the best offensive line in college football. But Dawson Knox, man, he wasn't overly productive at Ole Miss. But this is somebody who was at Ole Miss with AJ Brown, with DK Metcalf. You know, he was there with a bunch of studs so he wasn't necessarily the first read but they still because I watched a lot of his tape and I was like this guy he's a good player Dawson Knox he's just not getting the hype because he doesn't have necessarily the production you want but look at him now man he's one of the better contested catch tight ends he's athletic enough to get downfield create separation and he's just an absolute red zone target red zone threat which we've seen all throughout this season you spend a third round pick on that kind of guy man if if Shane can come in here and do something similar now again we don't know how much of the extent that was Shane been, but I'm sure Shane had his hand in a lot of these drafts, obviously being the assistant general manager, then that would be a win, especially for the tight ends, because the Giants have missed on the tight ends. The Giants need to upgrade the tight end position now that they have what Caden Smith and Kyle Rudolph was more than likely going to be cut on their roster.
2: Yeah. You know what? You're, you're spot on, Nick. I consider that to be a big win. I consider that to be a big win in what he's bringing over, like the tenants of his philosophy, like cluster drafting skill players on right in that, in that, date in that round three round four range because Gabriel Davis is another player whom I remember me and you loving during the pre-draft process like we thought this could be an absolute steal for the Giants if they took him on day uh on day three or day four I'm sorry in round three or day or, or day three and the Bills ultimately end up seeing him having a strong evaluation getting him and, and he's going to break out. Like it's a matter of time. He, he pretty much scores a touchdown or makes a big play. Anytime he gets a snap with the bills, he's had a tough time breaking through on the depth chart there because they signed Emmanuel Sanders. Cause Cole Beasley is, is like a, a fan favorite and a Josh Allen favorite. And he does get open. So Beasley's obviously a pretty good player as well. But when Davis gets his chance, he's going to be a big time player. And you will know that name. And Knox is another really strong evil. I remember you liking Knox. I I wasn't, I didn't watch as much film on Knox, but that was another good traits-based evaluation. They didn't have to use a first round pick to get him, right? Like he's probably already, if we're gonna be completely honest with this Nick, a better football player than Evan Ingram. I know Evan Ingram's supposed to be better. He runs faster, Evan Ingram. He uh he I guess that's really all he does. He runs faster, Evan Ingram. He's <laughs> but He's not a better football player. He doesn't run as as Chris Brouts. He doesn't catch the ball as well. He doesn't get open as easy as Dawson Knox does. He's not the same kind of player. And all they had to do was use a, a later round pick. They didn't have to go up top and use one of their first round picks. Instead, they're using those picks on the Cody Ford and the Gregory Rousseau's of the world. And, you know, the core of your team, the pass rushers and the pass protectors, what you want to see. So that, to me, is a huge
1: win in general with Shane. Absolutely, and that's only talking about the draft side. We haven't even touched on some of the free agents they brought over, the Micah Hydes, the Jordan the players, players who are huge impact guys, and even undrafted guys that they ended up landing, like Levi Wallace, man. I was down at the Senior Bowl when Levi Wallace was there. I believe it was 2018. This dude was 177 pounds, and he looked so skinny up there on the stage, but he had the traits, enough traits to where the Buffalo Bills – thought that he was a good enough player to bring in. Now, he's not one of the best starters in the league whatsoever, but when you lose Trey White and you have to rely on someone like Levi Wallace to kind of be your number one cornerback and guard some of the best wide receivers in the National Football League and he does that adequate to a solid level, that is an absolute win when that guy is an undrafted dude, especially coming from a program like
3: Alabama.
2: Yeah, I know that. I mean, they've done such a good job there. That's for sure. And we're hoping Joe Shane can obviously bring that over to the Giants. I want to talk about his first comments as GM. We're going to do another podcast once he has his opening presser. That's going to probably tell us a lot. So I'm really excited for that. I'm really excited to do a podcast on that. But his early comments are just simply this is honor to accept the position of general manager, in the New York Giants. I want to thank. John Marin, Steve Tish, and their families for this tremendous opportunity. And I'm obviously grateful to Brandon and the Bills for the experience I've had in Buffalo. Now the work begins. My immediate focus is to hire a head coach with who I will work in lockstep with to, with to create a collaborative environment for our football operations. We'll cast a wide net. It can be former head coaches, first-time head coaches, but more importantly, it has to be a person who possesses the ability to lead an organization and the ability to motivate and develop players. On the personnel side... We will begin to evaluate our roster and prepare the draft and prepare for the draft and free agency. Our goal is to build a roster that will be competitive, have depth, and most importantly, win football games. So obviously, nothing groundbreaking there, but at the same time, I feel like it's 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 boilerplate stuff. But it's what you want to hear.
1: Absolutely, it's a lot of that. As you're not wrong whatsoever. It's definitely kind of cookie cutter response but dude there are like you think about the qualities man and i know we kind of touched on this a little bit in the beginning and kurt shout out to you you reached out to us on twitter wanted us to touch on this what qualities do you want in a general manager well a lot of the negative qualities about Dave Gettleman, the the arrogance, the inability to adjust, the stubbornness, the rigidness, the, oh, I li- love this player. This is the player I'm going to get. I'm not even going to field the phone call for the number two pick, despite the fact that Sam Darnold was surprisingly available. All of those things do not seem to be consistent with Joe Shane. Joe Shane seems to have a much more leveled approach, a much more open approach. And two things that I love, are his openness or at least what appears to be his openness from some of his comments and just the quotes that we're hearing about him. It doesn't seem to be a stubborn individual and the communication that he's talking about. Now I think Dave Gettleman was a, he did communicate with his former head coaches. I think he, Dave Gettleman signed some guys because his former coaches wanted them, but all of those other negatives about Gettleman really held back the Giants potential. And I don't really see that with Shane. What are some of your favorite or qualities that you would want you know, general manager. So one of the main things that
2: I want is a more long-term roster building approach. One of my biggest concerns with Gettleman was that he really, when, when the giants had a roster need, he wanted to fill that need immediately. It, it all started to me, and it was so apparent to me when he used that supplemental draft pick on Sam Beal. The Giants were weak at corner, and he even said going into his tenure with the Giants, I'm not going to make those same mistakes like I made in that Carolina draft when we didn't have corners, and I drafted a bunch of corners up top, even though he hit on one, Bradbury, but he, you know, the others were misses, and, I, and I'm not going to make the mistake again, but then he did make that mistake again. He did it with Beal. He did it with Daniel Jones. I'm sorry. I'm just going to be honest. It, it, maybe we change our minds on that. I know everybody hates Maybe he did it with Jones. Maybe he didn't. We'll find out with Jones. But early signs are Jones isn't looking like an elite quarterback. But we'll see. We'll see. It's still too early to say, I guess, in year four. But we'll find out. But either way, it was, I need to get a quarterback. I need to get a cornerback. I need to get this. I need to get that. I need to fill this. I need to fill that immediately. And what I want to see from Shane is the opposite. I want to see a more long-term view. If there's not a player, is there not a value play to be made at that position You don't have to fill it right away. You can wait until next year to fill it. The best way to build a roster is not by bing, 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 fill this, fill that, fill this, fill that, this need, this need, that need. It's to build a long-term program and approach that you eventually can fall into it when there's a value play to be made at that position. So for me, it's going to be that. It's going to be a more long-term view. It's going to be kind of a slow but steady type approach. And he, in my mind... I'm giving him a lot longer leash than, than I'm going to, then I, then I gave Gettleman because (laughs) Gettleman made some mistakes early on that to me were unforgivable. Um, And obviously you mentioned one of them, not trying to trade out of that number two pick or not even considering a trade and then going ahead and making the 1996 type move and drafting a running back at two overall, especially then when that running back isn't even the best in the class or the best of all time, which he basically had to be when you made that move. So, I think that he gets extra time because he has to make up right now for Gettleman's mistakes. There's a lot of contracts on this roster that are not good, if we're going to be honest, that NFL GMs around the league would look at and be like, I don't want that. I don't want Logan Ryan's contract right now with all the dead cap. I don't want Sterling Shepard's contract right now with all the pushback dead cap. I don't want the Solder contract. There's tons of contracts on this roster that GMs wouldn't want. And I think in due time, like you mentioned before the podcast, Nick, in two, about two years, a lot of those contracts come off the book, so he'll really be able to put his stamp on this roster over these next two years and then have you know, his full, clean slate. So I'm giving him a little bit more time. I'm going to be a little bit more patient. But, yeah, that's my, my main thing there is don't try to fill needs. Try to actually
1: build out the roster a different way. I love that by the way Dan. I think that's an excellent point you just made. And I agree. I think we do have to be a little patient here. That doesn't mean a, a quicker turnaround can't happen. I think in the NFL, you know, turnover happens quite a bit and teams can kind of, you know, after one really good offseason if their the direction is sound with the coach and the general manager and the development actually takes like you would hope, then a team can get better. But with this specific Giants team, I'm not so certain that's the case. So I'm willing to to let it breathe a little bit here because the mess that Dave Gettleman is leaving behind, it's, it's not great right now. And I understand that he went all in for 2021. It did not work out. And I don't think there's too many contracts, as you just said, that go beyond 2023, 2024, that are going to hold the giants back. It's not like this general manager will more than likely give a ridiculous contract to Saquon Barkley and or Daniel Jones I think they'll have to earn that and at this point why are you going to invest a ton of money into the running back position doesn't seem like the Bills were a team that were was going to do that when with their approach to the running back position doesn't mean Shane won't but regardless I I agree with your sentiment I'm hoping for a long-term roster rebuild and again that could take some time so we have to be a little bit patient here.
2: Yeah. And I think you made a good, a great point there. It's that I'm I'm not saying it'll be exactly the same. You're right. It's possibly not possibly will, but the fact that the bills built out the roster with that specific approach at running back gives me a lot of hope that the giants won't make the mistake. And let's be quite honest on this podcast with everyone listening, because at this point, everyone I think has come to as close to a consensus as we can get on anything on giants football, It would be a mistake to re-sign Saquon Barkley. I hate to say it. It sucks. He's a great guy. He works hard. He seems like such a good dude. Um, It has nothing to do with who he is as a person. Same thing with Jones. I'm just not evaluating them as people. I'm evaluating them as players. And with his injury history right now, Saquon Barkley, and the lack of development he's made in some some key areas that we want to see development, pass production. Yeah, it's gotten a little better, but it's still not great, right? Processing. Mental processing as a running back. The nuances to playing the position and running behind any offensive line. It's gotten a little better, I guess, but to me, it's kind of hit a flat line. It's pretty much just what it's been at Penn state and what it's been now. And, and some of the tricks tr- of the trade that were working for him in that style at Penn state against big 10 linebackers and big 10 safeties just simply don't work at the NFL level. Um, and, So to me, re-signing him would be a massive mistake. And I I look at how they built those running backs out in Buffalo. Not a single major investment. They never took debate. They were always rumored, oh, will the Bills draft Clyde edwards Hilaire? Will the Bills draft Jonathan Taylor or whoever it may be? Like, they need a running back, right? They have everything else. Nope, they take a defensive lineman. Will the Bills make this trade for this hot running back? I remember they were, you know, rumored to be in the and Bell sweepstakes. They were rumored to make a trade for one of the big names. Nope, they did not take the bait. They built that out with guys like Matt Breida, who they were able to get for free for nothing and has made an impact this year, Singletary and Moss, who were both, you know, day three picks. And I think that's how he's going to want to build this out. I think he's smart enough to understand I can't make too many investments in the skill players. And I think given what the Giants have already invested at wide receiver, first-round pick Darius Tony. Massive contract, Kenny Golly, that's not going to be moved off the books for another couple of years. So hopefully we can bounce back. And obviously, you know, Shepard, who will probably have to be on the roster next year. It's hard to say with Shepard what's going to happen. They might just eat the dead cap there. But even if they do. I feel like he's not going to make major investments in the skill players early on either, which is another thing that you know me, and you know me well enough, Nick, to know that I'm excited about that because I've always been a big believer in the, in the inside-out roster approach and try to find those skill players cheap. Don't try to go major
1: to, uh, investment-wise to get those guys. And definitely seems like Shane would agree with you on that. And when you look at some of these running backs, too, Zach Moss and Devin Singletary both ran 4-6 at the combine. Like, they're not necessarily people who jump out at you from a from a athletic standpoint, at least when they're in their shorts. But if you watch Devin Singletary run, I don't think he has the breakaway speed. But in short areas, he's really, really quick and he's really, really agile, despite the fact that he also ran a seven three two three cone, which isn't necessarily all that great. But they trusted the tape and it took a little bit of a little while, I would say for Singletary to develop because he, he kind of got a slow start. He's been dinged up. But this year, down the stretch of this season, he's been really effective for the Bills. And obviously their identity isn't centralized around rushing the football because they they have Josh Allen who can <laughs> rush the football almost better than their running backs can. It's reassuring that they're not going to just fall in love with somebody who has insane combine numbers. They're going to watch the tape and trust what they see from, from that standpoint. At least that's what it says to me, the selections of Singletary and Moss at that juncture of the draft.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And, you know, we're, me and you are both big believers in the 40 yard dash is the most overrated uh, statistic to analyze a running back coming into the NFL by far. Bio, I mean, there used to be a time when height speed was important. I remember there was a time when people were doing models based on it. Like, look, you can hit on these players, these running backs based on their height speed combination. But. You know, it's so rare that you need that 40-yard dash speed to actually come into play at the running back position. More importantly, you need those guys. In my mind, the most important trait by far from a running back is ability to create yards after contact and ability to force missed tackles. Those two traits define if a running back is going to break out. And I think that's what they found with both of those players. Both of those players look good. As far as both of those traits coming into the NFL, at least I think Moss hasn't exactly been able to live up to that hype. He's not really the same player he was at the college level. I think the jump in speed of the game made an impact for him, but Singletary's looked really good as of late and at times earlier in his career as well. And I think he's been able to translate Um, and either way, they're not making major investments in the skill players. And one of the reasons why that's a good thing is because the skill players get injured more often. So when you're making those major asset investments, like a Gadarius Tony, for example, you could have a season like last year where Tony's basically injured the entire time. And you have to deal with that. Speaking of that, I wanted to throw this stat out there because this kind of gives, I think, a glimmer of hope, Nick, for the next season being a lot better than this one. The Giants actually works. I know every year everyone says, oh my God, the Giants are the most injured team in the NFL. It's not always true. This year it actually was. Someone did a study recently where the Giants were the most injured team in the NFL in 2021 and the most injured team of any team in any season since the 2009 season. So, you know, that was some that was a really interesting stat I saw, Nick, and I think it gives me hope that things will be a little bit better just by default, just by the fact that this roster will be healthier next year.
1: Honestly, I'm going through, like, the position groups in my head, and it seemed like every position group other than the defensive line had some sort of injury or somebody coming back from a serious injury yeah. in Lorenzo Carter. Like, they weren't decimated, and again, like, that goes to the whole Joe Judge was dealt a, a raw deal kind of thing, and I, and I still think that – that is true, but at the same time, the Giants had to turn the page on the season. And, you know, it's a, uh, and like we said on the podcast before, and so many people have said it before us NFL means not for long. And if you don't have success, it's not going to be uh, for long for you to have this job. And that's unfortunately what happened with Joe Judge. But we're hopefully turning to greener pastures now because we got our general manager, Joe Shane. Let's go. Now we'll figure out who that head coach is going to be. Is it going to be Brian Dayball, Leslie Frazier? Is it going to be Brian Flores? I don't know, but. Again, I'm fascinated by it, and I'm really excited to cover it.
2: Yeah, me too. And just a couple other notes that I thought were interesting as we were recording the podcast. Ben McAdoo was hired as the Panthers' offensive coordinator. Can
1: you believe that, Nick? (laughs) I love it. Dude, it gives me a reason to kind of follow the Panthers just to see how they do. I I don't have any animosity towards Ben McAdoo or anything like that. It was a terrible way for his short tenure as head coach to end. But, uh, I mean, he's been out of the league for for quite a bit, and then he kind of worked his way back into being a positional coach. Now he's an offensive coordinator. Now if they end up getting some rookie quarterback or even if they keep Sam Darnold as a quarterback, and then they end up having some moderate success, you're going to start hearing Ben McAdoo's name in head coaching uh, conversations. Isn't that nuts? I mean, the NFL gets cyclical like that. If you can have success, as we've seen, you start uh, putting your name back on the map to be a head guy.
2: Yeah, we'll see what happens there. Uh, I have my reservations about anyone hiring Ben McAdoo, but maybe he's learned and he can kind of do a better job. And I will say this about Ben McAdoo, no matter how bad of a job he did, there are two things that will always stand out to me about Ben McAdoo. One, he completely changed Eli's foot, Eli Manning's footwork in the pocket yes. and then got two really good seasons out of Eli late in his career after a little bit of a slump after making those changes. And so – he does have the skills to develop a quarterback. He was obviously largely credited as well for helping to develop Aaron Rodgers. Now, I don't love his system and I don't love his play calling, and I don't love his play calling mix. And there's a lot of things I don't like from a schematic standpoint, but from a development standpoint, he did a really good job with Eli Manning. He also saw the film and loved Patrick Mahomes. He's rumored to, and I've heard this now from multiple people that he was pushing in that Giants draft room. He didn't have much say. That was the old Giants with Jerry Reese kind of making all the calls there. It wasn't like the the judge. Gettleman giants over the last season, but, and by the way, I think that'll be the case with Shane, which I like Shane making all the calls. I'm not a big fan of the coach, uh, the coach getting too involved in those decision-making and having too much power there, but he was, you know, trying to trade up for, for Patrick Mahomes in the 2017 draft instead of the Giants taking Evan Ingram. I don't know if they ever would have had the ammo to move all the way up ahead of where the Chiefs moved because that's what they would have had to do. But, you know, that's good enough for me to at least be like, dude, you, you nailed it. Like Patrick Mahomes, if you can get the Patrick Mahomes e- evaluation right, that's you, you make a franchise with that kind of evaluation. It doesn't even matter what you do in my mind outside of that. Like you could do so many things for your franchise that are great but then you could miss on a quarterback for 10 years and you'll get fired. Like or you won't even take 10 years. You won't even get that much time. But if you hit Patrick Mahomes, you're great. You're good to go. You're gravy. So at least for the Panthers, they have those things going for them. I just thought that was interesting that Ben McAdoo got an offensive coordinator job in today's NFL, especially with some of the coordinators available. I was pretty surprised by that, Nick. A couple yeah. other notes.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I want to I interject. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the Sorry. Giants would have had the ammunition for that, for certain. I mean, all they would have had to give up was that first round pick in 2017 their 2018 first, and then a 2017 third. Cause that's all it took for the bills to trade from 27 or the chiefs to trade from 27 all the way up oh, to yeah. I think 12 or whatever, 10 or 12, whatever it was to get Pat Mahomes. And I actually, I like the approach of the general manager and the coach being cohesive together. I think that's an invaluable approach. I think a lot of teams had that approach at the end of the day, the general manager is going to have the final say, but the coach should definitely have his hand in the the players that he wants to coach and who will fit his system. I think that's a a huge part of the general manager head coach relationship,
2: yeah, for sure. I think it's more so just um like th- what percentage of that? like what 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 say does the head coach have that I kind of think about. But it is interesting that you mentioned that because they would have at the time, can you imagine how many people would have been like early on, especially if Mahomes wasn't starting right away, would have been like, because Eli was still starting at that point. they would have been like, I can't believe we gave up the number two pick to get this guy. Because <laughs> it would have been like, you know, looking at like the top five pick at that time in 2018, which ultimately would have been Barkley. And I think today, if anyone could have traded Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley and a third round pick, whoever that probably was, was like, what, Lorenzo Carter or B.J. Hill for Patrick it's Mahomes. Yeah, B.J. Hill or Lorenzo Carter for Patrick Mahomes. It's like the most slam dunk trade in the history of the world. But it's funny. I mean, we're obviously looking at this hindsight. We're not saying. Yeah. Is- something that should have happened or anything. A couple other notes, Ian O'Connor, who again has been kind of had to pulse, his pulse on the GM search said, Giants were never terribly concerned that Joe Shane might take an offer from the Bears because Shane told them during the process that the Giants were his number one choice. So it's good to feel wanted.
1: Absolutely. And uh, the Giants, it seemed like their number one choice was Shane the entire time as well, but I think they were casting the wide net. They were doing their due diligence and they were interviewing a wide variety of people, and then they brought in three finalists who they seem to love, and I'm sure Ryan Poles and Adam Peters will be general managers eventually, but right now, it's the Joe Shane Show in New York, bro, so I'm really excited about this.
2: Yeah, and then there's some obviously some head coaching news and some rumors and reports that have come from this, the first one being that Brian Dable will likely be their first uh, interview, and they have to interview him. With the Bills in the playoffs, I think they have to interview him by the end of this weekend, which is going to be a mad dash to get their first interview in.
1: Now, couldn't they just wait till after the weekend and after whatever happens between the Bills and the Chiefs, and then just do it? Like I don't think they have to squeeze it in 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 a day. That wouldn't make sense.
2: That's what I saw. Maybe uh, I, you know, someone on some one of our listeners can confirm with us. But that's what I saw somewhere that there's some some NFL rule that it has to be done the first interview has to be done before this weekend or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. So we'll move on from that. But also, I've seen that. Brian Flores might be in play or will be in play, and John, according to Ian O'Connor, which this seems like pretty weird. I can't imagine a G, uh, owner reaching out to a coach, but uh, according to Ian Conner, O'Connor, John Mara reached out to Brian Flores a couple nights ago, and they had a very good conversation. And Mara assured Flores that he's a serious candidate, and the Giants are going to be willing to eat money like to clear up cap space. So it could, have, and then O'Connor said it could end up being Flores' day uh, ball for the for the for the finalists there.
1: Those are two solid finalists right there. And if that is the case, and it very well might be, at least it's trending in that direction, I believe Vegas has it, Dayball, at plus 110 now, and it jumped from plus 400 before the Shane news, So it jumped pretty significantly in Brian Dayball's favor. Just before the Shane hiring, Brian Flores was the favorite. And I wrote about it at Big Blue View, and then it changed just when Shane was hired. So, I mean, we'll see if there's an impact there or if it's just Vegas, you know, hoping that people will bet that it will be Brian Dayball because of the Shane Dayball connection with the Buffalo Bills. But either way, I'm interested to see exactly who it's going to be. And I think both those guys are pretty solid candidates.
2: Yeah, and I think it's good news and not surprising news to us that the Giants are going to be willing to eat dead cap space. They've been eating dead cap. Like,
1: yeah. everyone
2: believes John Mara is the worst owner in sports or whatever. I think yeah. that's one of the st- stupidest things, and I've said it and I'll stand by it. I think one of the most overrated narratives on Giants Twitter is that John Mara is this horrific ma- uh, owner. I mean, throughout his pro- – like, did he make a mistake with Dave Gettleman and keeping him too long? yes he did but he's already showed us that he understands and he's agreed to and admitted that mistake like it's not like he's doubling down on these mistakes he thought that they were building it in the right direction he probably should have taken had some outside sources go in and be like look man like this gentleman thing it may seem like it's moving in the right direction but it's not it's just clearly not um to, to anyone who has two eyes and two eyes and can understand the long-term building process but so he made a mistake there but it's not like he's not admitting to his mistakes and kind of you know changing in a lot of ways because this GM search is a good example of how he's changed and how, in my mind, he's done a better job. It's been a nice, exhaustive search with a casting wide net. And there were three really good finalists for this GM job, and they decided on one. And like they've always spent in free agency, they've never worried about dead cap, they've never worried about spending too much on their coordinators and cheaping out there. So I believe this report that he'll cut these, he'll he'll take the dead cap hits and he'll pay the extra money uh, out of his own pocket to help this team improve their roster. So I think that's a great sign as well.
1: I agree with you as well, because it's uh it's something that Mara doesn't get any credit for, because he's the guy in charge, and the Giants have been so dysfunctional and, and crappy for so long that we all point at Mara and say he's the worst owner. And I get that train of thought, but you're right, man. He's not afraid to spend money. There are some owners in sports, New York fans know, that do not like to spend money, and it holds their team back from competing for a championship. We've seen this in New York several times. We've seen it all over the NFL as well, and John Mara is not that guy.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. So that's exciting news as well to me. I also last report I've seen is that this hiring will likely uh, put John Harbaugh out of the sweepstakes and out of the running for Giants head coach because it's believed to be that Harbaugh is going to be a package deal with Joe Hartz. Um, or Hort- sorry, Ortiz. I keep getting that one wrong. I keep making him Jewish when he's not Jewish, but Joe Hortiz from, from Baltimore. So that's, that's some news too. For me, that's quite all right. I'm not a Harbaugh fan at all. I think he's the most overrated coaching candidate in the history of football. Almost not, not, not really, but in the recent era, arguably the most overrated candidate. I hate the job. I could literally say I hate the job he's done at Michigan. When you, when you go 500 against Michigan, uh, Michigan state and Wisconsin, in your career, when you're just, Doubling, tripling the talent you're getting. Like you're not even on the same level of recruiting. That <laughs> those teams aren't even on the same level of recruiting as a Michigan. You have one good year, and now all of a sudden you're a hot head coach again. And I know he's quote unquote had success in the past. I don't believe it, I, I, but I don't see I don't see his Michigan tenure as success. I could give him success in San Fran, but I've heard he's lost the locker room at the end. And the whole time he did have Greg Roman running a really unique offense. And I believe who was his defensive coordinator? It was another unbelievable guy was it was it uh Fangio Fangio, the one of the best coordinators in the NFL and defense side of the ball so count me out on Harbaugh and I'm happy he's not Harbaugh I'm happy he's not in the mix
1: yeah Jim though I will say 44 19 and one is a pretty good record for an NFL coach yeah and you
2: are what your record says and I get it and that's the whole basically that's the entire reason for him that's the all that's the pro because he doesn't really bring any kind of scheme or system or X's and O's to the mix uh, so, again, I get it. But part of that to me is just a lot of the surrounding cast there. It would be that
1: in, in development, too, because he is a he was a former quarterback. He was right. a quarterback coach. So I think that there's elements of that. But I, I would agree with you uh, in the sense that like, I don't think he did the best job at Michigan. He wouldn't be my number one candidate. I'm not uh, completely I don't completely hate the idea. But I will say I think he might be an individual who would want more control than maybe even a Brian Flores, who is rumored to want some control. So uh, that kind of turns me off from him a little bit. What about just before we get out of here, Dan Quinn, because the Giants did interview Dan Quinn. They have some interest in Dan Quinn. I ultimately don't believe Dan Quinn will be their choice. But what's your thoughts on him?
2: He'd be very low on my personal list. I, if we're going to go one side of the ball, I want offense always um, never defense. I I just need, especially with where the giants are at and, and Quinn to me, um, you know, he did a pretty good job turning around that Dallas defense. But part of that is Will McClay, like Will McClay got Micah Parsons, who is arguably the best player in defensive, the best defensive player in football, the most impactful defensive player in football, not just rookie, like, Veterans included, like you could argue him, you could argue TJ Watt, you can argue a few others, obviously. Aaron Donald, I would say Aaron Donald. Some will say Aaron Donald, and I can understand that for sure. But Parsons, when you look at some of the advanced numbers, was unbelievably impactful on a per-play basis. Same thing goes for Trayvon Diggs, another find by Will McClay that Dan Quinn had absolutely nothing to do with. So... I don't know. And to me that by the end of it, that defense wasn't even that good. Like they got worked by the 49ers last week and they were not really good down the stretch for a lot of, for a lot of the games where they didn't have to face like the Eagles offense or the Washington offense or the Giants offense. And they didn't have to face those crappy teams on offense. So I I don't know. Quinn would not be top of my list. He'd be the lowest one.
1: Yeah. I don't know if he'd be the lowest one for me. It depends on how it, expanded out of list. the 3 I
2: should say that we first Oh so yeah far. yeah he
1: would be the lowest out of the 3 for me. I don't hate it as much as uh a lot of people are very very turned off by the idea. I still look at him as somebody who did go to a Super Bowl, did uh I think I what two playoff years in Atlanta with it with a pretty solid team. My concerns with Quinn would be the fact that the defense in Atlanta was not great and he's a defensive coach, but I also like how he was able to adjust from his Seattle cover three scheme that he brought to Atlanta, go down to Dallas, see his personnel, and then totally flip it and become a man coverage type of team because that's what they were this year, and it definitely assisted players like Trayvon Diggs with interceptions, although we've seen the clips on Twitter. Trayvon Diggs is somebody who is very susceptible to double moves. We knew that. We saw it against Kadarius Tony as well, and then we saw it in that game, but he he would definitely be below Dayball and Brian Flores for me, but I don't necessarily think it's the worst idea either.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. And we'll see what happens because obviously we know Dayball and Flores will probably get the first looks, and we'll find out soon what happens there. Stick stick with us, obviously. Big Blue Banter podcast. We're going to be talking. GM search. We're going to be talking uh, GM first first presser. I want to hear from Joe Shane, and I want to like break that all down. That's going to be where we usually get a lot of our best info from. We're obviously going to be talking about the GM. i um, sorry, the coaching search as well as that heats up and whoever the Giants decide on there. So a lot of good things to come here from Big Blue Vander Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in. Have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll talk to you soon.